With that, it was back to Gotham, our first real focused stay since the Golden Age. And things were looking a little dark, with sales down to desperate lows. Something needed to change. Batman needed a new look. And that's why they brought in Carmine Infantino. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every moment that my mic falls down. Yeah, that was actually kind of weirdly aggressive how I did that. <laughs> You're not lying. All right. You're going to stay? You're going to stay. Wonderful. Perfect. It's it's time for the bat. <laughs> for for Bitman. <laughs> Uh, it is, it is, look, we haven't, we haven't dealt with Batman Central or Centric Comics in quite some time. And again, we need to, we need to reiterate, it wasn't because we didn't like him. It wasn't because I didn't like him. Um, it, it's mainly because we've been having a hell of a time trying to get back issues in the way that we normally get these for the rest of the characters like Showcase Presents. And the Showcase Presents Batman comics take place starting in 1964 for some reason um, the showcase presents collections uh, that we've I've been largely buying these through because it's impossible to buy every back issue and it would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars which you've already probably spent on this entire podcast for you and your benefit um, but bottom line being that's why this is more of a long several year hiatus before we dealt with Batman again and I want to dig into it a little bit because I think it is useful context especially in light of what's coming down the pipeline uh i'm working a little bit off memory so apologies if i get any of this wrong this is the debut of new look batman which is it's it's not just visuals although we do have carmine infantino on here as one of the pencilers and it, and it rules and it rules and it rules yeah. and it's amazing yeah uh, but also this is a time where batman sales I, I believe both like batman and detective comics which are what we're covering today were both just low it was just low it wasn't doing well and julius shorts who is the editor who k helped kickstart the silver age was called in and said hey do something uh, or we might have to cancel batman uh slash maybe detective comics as well uh, and so what you get is this it's not a reboot but it is a creative reinvigoration and the timing of it is so fascinating like we'll talk a little bit about what we see in these stories versus what we see in other stories of the time it's not a like a, a silver age capital s capital a uh story in the way that we get like flash and green lantern but it is something different there is something to it that is a step in a different direction but two years later, you have the Batman TV show. And for all that this is like a new look, it's nothing like what gets popularized in the TV show. You don't have that level of goofiness. You don't have Bam Pow Biff. Uh, so it's just fascinating me. I was talking with uh, my fiance Rebecca about this on the drive home from the grocery store. You have this interesting relaunch that is just going to get utterly dwarfed by what's coming. Batman, from what it seems like, compared to uh, Wonder Woman and Superman, has largely remained unchanged since the Golden Age to the Silver Age, with the exception that he is no longer killing people and the cops aren't crooked occasionally. 
Batman's formula seems to have become stale. Whereas Superman has changed to being the Superman family and growing and having this variety of weird, strange, bizarre adventures. And Wonder Woman has completely shifted to being the antithesis of what it was about to begin with by a person who largely hated the creator. This is something I found very interesting when I was reading um, Jill Lepore's book, The Secret Secret History of Wonder Woman. Kandiger, who we read the writing of all the time, who's responsible for like, you know, our fighting soldiers and Sergeant Rock, was a staunch anti-feminist and was the editor for Wonder Woman through the Golden Age up to the point when William Moulton Marsden died and hated it. And that explains the absolute tonal shift when Marsden stops writing it and Kaniger starts writing it is he just kind of revamps it in the way that he believes it should be, um, which changes Wonder Woman for the, for the Silver Age to a, frankly, unfortunately, more palatable version to do with the comics code. Batman has kind of plateaued. He plateaued probably in the 50s. It ain't getting any different for this guy. And I think that explains a lot of why the the series was failing. The TV show was about to come out. To your point, Matt, it is the new look Batman that we see with these shorter ears, a little bit more family friendly because he's got Robin. It's a very strange book because it's, it's got all the pieces it needs to be the Batman we know. It just doesn't know what to do with them. Um, For those of you who have forgotten who one of the most recognizable superheroes is in the history of the world, uh, allow us to give you a sort of persona listing of who we have with Batman. Batman right now currently is Bruce Wayne. Uh, He's a rich, idle businessman who has inherited a lot of his money after his parents' death, uh, tragic death, that uh, inspired him to become the vigilante, the Batman. His young ward is Robin, Dick Grayson, who is uh, the child who has been orphaned by mobsters who killed his parents during a circus incident. Remember, children, nothing good ever happens at the circus. And he has taken Robin under his wing to teach him the ways of justice to help fight crime to prevent the bad things from happening to other kids that that happened to Robin. At home, we have uh, Alfred, uh, once was a heavier gentleman, now is much thinner due to a vacation at one point where he lost a lot of weight and was, became that. rail thin, which was a weird and specifically fat phobic storyline that we are only going to just mention here and not go much into it further. Um, who is a like classically trained British actor as well as Butler. Awesome. And he's their Butler. Um, they live in Gotham City. Their major contact is a man named Commissioner Gordon, who is the commissioner of police for Gotham City. There you go. That's Batman at this time. That is the status quo. He has a number of villains, Catwoman, the Joker, etc. Um, Two-Face was in the Golden Age. Frankly, we haven't read Batman since we stopped reading him for the Golden Age coverage, so we don't know if Two-Face has come back, because at one point, he got his face back and he just became Harvey Dent. Uh, the Penguin's around, and you know, villains like that. That's the type of fare we're dealing with, not to mention just sort of like, you know, generic ne'er-do-wells and uh, criminals. So... That is, that is the state of the union that Batman is in right now. Uh, so we're going to pick up... Yes, I know, Joanne. We have a lot of these to cover. Um, we're going to try and go through several of them very quickly because they're just pretty much non-existent plot stories. But at this time, Batman is appearing in both Detective Comics and the Batman single series. So thankfully 
thankfully for you. We're not reading World's Finest as well. And we cover his appearances in Justice League when we cover Justice League. So we don't really include those in this, sec- in this uh, section. These are for Batman only, you know, singular spotlight on the Bat and Robin and the Bat family. So Detective Comics number 327, May 1964. A criminal who is able to stop Batman and Robin uh, by utilizing special science because remember we can't do magic uh special science to uh, on their masks that prevents them from like approaching him whenever they get within a certain radius of him uh is doing crime in gotham village which is like gotham's version of the east village in new york city it's basically just like the bohemian hippie area of town uh and making people really dislike gotham village to the point where they want to bulldoze it and everyone's like no don't do it it's a cultural center and Batman and Robin stop him and real and make everyone feel like, ah, Gotham Village is safe again. We won't destroy it and lose all the culture and character. Hooray. <laughs> uh, it's a Carmine Infantino story, which I just fucking adore. Yeah. Um, because the art is so fuck good. Oh, man. He makes Batman look great. Um, we're going to move on to Batman 164, June 1964. There's some just little character notes here. Uh, Robin plays the guitar. I found that interesting. Uh, And he's also apparently fairly good at it. Dick Grayson is apparently good at playing guitar. Um, We get a nice little Batcave map of like how the Batcave is structured out. It's like one of those like slices where you see in the side and you get that x-ray view of like, oh, this is where the Batplane is, where the garage is for the Batmobile, the crime lab, etc. That was neat. I want to make a point of that because that's the closest that we get to a... If not this, our story thus far, our our story or what has come before, like it is the closest we get to a regrounding. Because you know, yeah. one thing that doesn't happen in this entire new look, like quasi reboot uh, or new creative run, we never go back to either of their origins. Yes, it is just assumed. And like I said, I don't know if this is a, as a result of us not being able to find 1950s issues of Batman where Wonder Woman and Superman's uh, origin stories were revamped. We'll be straight up honest about that. They had some revamping of their of their stories in the 50s. Um, we don't have access to those Batman stories. They might have done that then. But as far as we know, this is a continuous storyline from the last Batman stories you read in the 1940s. So, we have our x-ray of the, the Batcave, and that's great. Uh, the story here central uh, centrally focuses on a bad guy who is trying to steal gems by kind of making it inconvenient for a band that's going to Gotham um, and just kind of stalling them. Um, it's kind of, again, this is a non-story. Um, Batman and Robin stop him. Uh, the second story of Batman 164, uh, this is actually kind of funny. <laughs> So according, apparently, uh, to the narrator, there is the Mystery Analysts of Gotham City Club, uh, where it's just a bunch of mystery nerds uh, and Batman who get together and solve crimes. Uh, Commissioner Gordon, Batman, uh, a fiction writer, uh, journalist, etc. Just people who are generally good at solving mysteries. Miss uh, Marple has a posse basically yeah it's kind of that versus like also i think it's kind of each of these characters is kind of a play on specific other armchair detectives and noir characters by just making them like ah yes they all live in gotham they're at their meeting one of the members goes like hey i've solved the mystery of what batman looks like and they're like 
that's a lie. Also, don't unmask Batman. And Batman's like, no, that's cool. And they unmask him. And Batman decidedly doesn't look like Bruce Wayne. It's terrifying and weird to see a different head underneath the Batman cowl. Um, but it's just a different looking guy. And uh, Batman then reveals to Robin that he kind of figured out what this guy was up to and how he figured out, quote unquote, what Batman looked like was he would occasionally stumble upon Batman at other crime scenes and do something wherein he could feel up Batman's face, like cover his eyes from a flashbang or put on a snorkel for him so he could feel his like nose and mouth. Uh, And once Batman figured that out, he just kind of like played a gag on him and let the guy think he knew what he was doing so that he would throw them off the scent of what he actually looks like. Okay. <laughs> Again, a lot of these are going to be like that. We're just like, all right. And I, I kind of want to expand on that just a little bit because one of the one of the ways of this that we'll see repeated is things that are that make sense in that way. Like, oh yeah, somebody could like get a sense of what Batman looked like. It's easy to believe. Like, oh yeah, you. I mean, you feel around the elephant enough, you can carve it out yourself. Uh, but it's kind of like, eh, okay. It's not, uh, yeah. it's not a cool, like grounded, like scientific problem solve or solution in the way that like a Gardner Fox story would be. It's not like, oh, cool. That pulls it all together. It's just like, yeah, that works. It's, it's not completely manufactured. It's a little bit like, yeah, okay. That, that makes sense. Uh, it's not inspiring. It holds together. It works. Yeah, it's just okay. Detective Comics number three twenty eight, June nineteen sixty four. <laughs> this is a this is a wild one. So Batman and Robin are out doing stuff, and Alfred's at the cave cleaning up, and he receives a message at the cave that is meant for Batman that basically says, "This bad guy's here. Go get him." Alfred, knowing that Batman and Robin are out, this being the sixties, so they couldn't really contact him very easily uh, via any sort of telecommunication. Goes out to basically follow the bad guy himself. He, like, tracks this guy down. When Batman and Robin return to the Batcave, <laughs> they see the note that Alfred left, which is basically like, hey, I'm going to go find this guy for you. Uh, f- figure out where I am. Alfred's basically tr- uh, gotten captured. And he's now bait uh, as a hostage. And Batman and Robin have to go in and try and save him. They get captured. All three of them are captured. They all try to break out at different times, and Batman and Robin don't realize that Alfred has already broken out, and Bat- and Alfred doesn't realize that Bat- Batman and Robin have broken out, so they both believe that they're dead. Then as they are, as Batman and Robin are chasing the bad guys out to a construction site, Alfred has see- sees them and uh, is driving on his motorcycle to go help them and join them. And, like, a construction uh, machine is going to be, like, dropped on Batman and Robin to kill them. And Alfred drives his motorcycle there, knocks them out of the way, and is killed by the construction machine. And I'm like, surely this is a joke. Surely they will say like, ah, no, he he, he jumped out of the way. The last second his motorcycle just got crushed. No, no. Alfred's fucking dead. And to show you how dead he is, literally in the last three panels of the issue... As Batman and Robin are mourning the death of Alfred and Batman is saying he's going to set up the Alfred Pennyworth charity in his honor. Aunt Harriet, Dick Grayson's Aunt Harriet, shows up apropos of nothing at Wayne Manor and just says like, hey, uh, I'm here to clean up after you. And like Dick and Bruce just kind of let her in and Aunt Harriet's the new Alfred. 
That's how dead Alfred is. Reader, I was shocked. Shocked, I tell you. That <laughs> this was so unceremonious. Fuck, Lightning Lad didn't get replaced in the same issue. Holy shit, guys. Like, let's have a little decorum. <laughs> let's have... And in Aunt Harriet's defense, let's have a whole issue about her to set her up. Because we don't know who the hell this is. The last, the last aunt and uncle we saw for Robin were two people trying to scam him and like didn't really care about him were treating him poorly and Bruce and Alfred had to like have some soul searching to be like yeah we really do miss Robin and he, he shouldn't be with his family we, we miss him and also his family sucks it was so fucking weird and then this woman just shows up out of nowhere she's like hey I'm here to clean up after you and Bruce is like this is gonna make having a secret identity really hard and Robin's like dope my aunt Harriet who I've always loved and had a fond affection for and I've just never spoken about it until now what? This is one of the areas where I think having the context of a like a brand relaunch sort of contextualizes things because it's this very much has the feel of uh, this is a new status quo that we want to do uh, to make our mark on it. There are other things where we'll see like them experimenting with a thing and deciding it doesn't stick. But that's the other thing that's weird about this is like nothing else sticks in the way that Mm -hmm. this does (laughs) they also don't give it enough tries to stick yeah like we don't see it often enough to be like i asked like aunt harriet shows up like one or two other times yep in the year of comics that we read between detective and and batman she shows up like one other time and i forgot she existed until that moment and i'm like you gotta like actually set this up show her in other scenes have her just puttering around doing something or have dick be like yeah it sucks that we have to meet in the back cave now when we talk about this stuff because aunt harriet doesn't know that we're batman and robin and we don't want her to know because then she's gonna freak the fuck out like something we hear of the alfred pennyworth charity foundation frequently yeah more than we hear of aunt harriet it feels like there was an executive an editorial decision that alfred would be dead and a vague idea of eh, maybe we have this other character take his place but the two are yeah. not given equal weight by any means no moving on to detective comics number 329 july 1964 batman and robin help a guy whose cousin is holding his family hostage in an english castle <laughs> some of these some of these are a bit of a long walk i'm sorry folks <laughs> guys the guy's holding his his cousin's family hostage in an English castle while he searches for buried Nazi gold. I wish that was a setup for a better comic. Yeah. Batman number 165, August 1964. A scientist mutates into a new species that hates humans and Batman and Robin have to stop him. And they freeze him in suspended animation and launch him into space. Um, Second story in this issue. This is is actually a bit more of a, a relevant one. Patricia Powell... Uh, the daughter of a police officer that Batman knows, uh, becomes a cop herself and helps Batman and Robin solve some crimes. Uh, She wants to meet Bruce Wayne, though, because she has a big old crush on Bruce Wayne. She just never met him face-to-face because every time she's met Bruce Wayne, it's either been at costume parties or underwater when they were scuba diving or any other deus ex machina that makes it hard for her to meet him face-to-face. And Batman finds this just absolutely adorable. And uh, eventually they will meet face-to-face. And this is, I guess, the setup for a new love interest. Can I... How, how many times do you think we see her again after this reading? Twice. We literally... The, the end of this reading is the last we will ever see of her. Jesus Christ, guys. I know. 
that this is the other thing that I come back to of like it's it is an attempt at it, it is an attempt at a brand relaunch without a cohesive brand idea run by a but well run by one editor but with like three different writers it it is a very disparate idea yeah. attempt at things yeah you've got bill finger gardner fox and john broom all writing batman stories right now and let's be clear the john broom stories are the best ones uh you even forgot one ed heron and ed heron, and ed heron was the one that's who did right these two specifically uh and then there's right. like one or two other stories that he does but yeah right four, the gardner fox four ones. writers yeah four writers in all of this too many cooks in the kitchen there yeah the gardner fox ones you can smell a mile away they're the weirdest <laughs> The Ed Heron ones are the most unremarkable. The Bill Finger ones are good noir. Mm-hmm. They're good pulp. That's about it. The best ones are the John Broom ones. They are more interesting. They have a little bit more character to them. They have a little bit more breathing room and time to tell a better story. They're just better because they have the better artist. They have Carmine Infantino on them. And I'm not being mean about it. I'm just saying Broom's a better writer. Broom understands how to write comics better than the other three people. Uh, And yeah, I got to say that doesn't surprise me about Patricia Powell. Um, Because look, I know a lot about comic books. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie here. I've never heard of this person in my entire life, and this explains it. Uh, Detective Comics number three thirty, August nineteen sixty four. This was, this was funny. A restaurant that is spiking coffee and drinks at it at its location in order to basically give people drugs that make everyone hate them, that they, everyone that they come across like just violently angry towards them and run them out of town, is testing this drug because what they want to do is basically Kingsman the whole town and make everybody fight each other so that they can just steal stuff uh, from the banks while everyone else is just beating the crap out of each other. I think that's an amazing plan. And I think this is one of the better issues because Batman and Robin actually do some like undercover detective sting work. And it was great. Um, Batman number 166, September 1964. A uh, bad guy. Uh, <laughs> this was, oh, God. Um, there's a criminal who has a cave hideout off on the outskirts of Gotham who's just so happened to find a cave that has a hole into the bat cave and through it he listens to batman and robin just chat about nothing i guess until he finally hears batman talk about a nightmare he had about a, a, a trap that even he couldn't escape and the thug's like that's it i got it we're gonna go to the boss we're gonna pitch this thing and if i can kill batman with this trap i'll win a bunch of underworld money and it's all a lead up to an exact replica of the trap that Batman was describing, which was effectively a water pit with a machine gun <laughs> preventing him from surfacing from the water. So he'd either drown or get shot. And it's a fairly good trap, except for the fact that it's Batman. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I was absolutely afraid. I just realized that in the actual life and death situation, I had to just dis- deal with it. And it wasn't a scary trap anymore because he's Batman. Uh Second story in this issue, Patricia Powell, Batman, and Robin catch uh, crooks who rob a benefit that Bruce Wayne is hosting at Wayne Manor, and uh, Patricia Powell being a good detective, solving solving crimes, fighting fighting bad guys, uh, never to be seen or heard from again after this story. (laughs) Detective Comics, 
331, September 1964. A This one was a bit of a stretch, uh, and not just because of the elongated man's in it. Um, <laughs> the museum in Gotham has an exhibit uh, with an old, an old camera that takes pictures of you and steals your face and puts it on a different person. The people behind this are stealing the faces of people who go to the museum and then going to their banks, telling them they want to withdraw tons of money, and then effectively stealing from, from rich people who show up at the museum. Batman, Robin, and the Elongated Man uh, begin to track this down, solve the crime. They Scooby-Doo their way through it. It's pretty great. There is one bit that I don't understand where Batman, the Elongated Man, and Robin are all fighting an invisible force that's beating the crap out of them. That's never explained. The weird telekinetic fight they have with random something or other that beats them thoroughly is never explained as to whether or not that's part of the gang that's doing these photography switcheroos or if it's just like, I don't know, night at the museum rules and they got their asses handed to them by a bunch of exhibits. Like, what the fuck happened here? Like, I don't know. Like, I reread that sec that section several times to be like, oh, did they explain it? Like, oh, they've got, I don't know, camouflaged guys or something. But no, they're like, no, the, the, the big twist is the camera takes your face. The weird invisible people who beat you up, we don't even know what that was about. That's like unrelated. Like, is the museum haunted? What happened? Like, I don't know. That I want to know what's going on with that. The, the camera thing, we I don't care. Why is your museum of invisible people beating up superheroes? That seems like a problem we should deal with. But hey, Elongated Man and Sue Dibney. It's great to see. It's great to see Ralph and Sue in other people's comics. <laughs> uh, Detective Comics number 332, October 1964. The Joker is using pollen from the loco weed to make everyone laugh uncontrollably so that he can slip past them and steal from them. Now, I'm going to be serious for a second here. And say that this is quite possibly the first instance we've ever seen of Joker gas. <laughs> and I think that that's really cool. Now I'm going to make fun of it. Are you fucking kidding me? Loco weed? Are we just saying that like he's spraying everybody with THC and then saying a really bad joke. And then they all laugh and then he gets to get away with stealing from them. That's the bit, guys. That's the joke. Oh boy. I don't know how that got past the comics code, but all right. Batman number 167, November 1964. Batman and Robin assist Interpol uh, in stopping a global terrorist thievery group called Hydra from stealing a nuke and detonating it. You got too much of your Captain America in my DC comic. What? Like, like straight up Hydra? I really do want to... I I didn't have the chance to do this research, but to compare when Hydra shows up in Marvel, because it's doing the same thing, and I would be fascinated yeah. to know which came first. They even do the, like, you re you remove one head and two more shall take its place kind of a gag. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's pretty blatant. Let's just, for the sake yeah. of knowledge. Thanks, Dr. Internet. Uh, Hydra. First appearance. Strange Tales, number 135, May 1965. Huh. Batman had Hydra first. <laughs> I hate it here. I hate it here. <laughs> Comics were a mistake. Huh. 
guys, you can't even you can't even come up with your own fake terrorist organizations. You got to steal. Fuck. Yep. Stop golfing with your with your uh, rival publisher, everybody. Yeah, uh, they they stop Hydra from detonating nukes, obviously. And uh, there's a bit of a gag here because they're traveling all over the world to do this. That they are in three different time zones at three different moments in the story, and technically they're they are at eight p.m. three different times in the course of the story. And it's like they were in, in three different places at once. Get it? Because time zones are a joke, and it's it's cute. It it is it's worth noting it's a belabored joke uh, in the sense that they do keep coming back to it and it it still works but they really do yeah. lean on that time zones thing and it's it's totally out of place in the story yes had this been any other plot where the world the fate of the world is not at stake by all means this this wasn't it detective comics number three three three. November 1964, Batman and Robin go to an elephant graveyard to save a guy who is trying to protect elephants from being uh, affected by a strange element that uh, makes them aggressive and attack people and towns. Here's the thing. I liked the story, mainly because I could see the clear mission that it had, which was to educate you about elephants. And I'm <laughs> A-OK with that because it yeah. makes fucking sense. And in the in the course of showing how intelligent Batman is, having him educate Robin on elephants over the course of multiple panels is good. Uh, it provided educational value. Uh, you saw that they had a good relationship. That Batman teaches Robin stuff. Robin learned some things, and it came in handy in the course of the story where he did things that he had that he had to learn from Batman. This is a very tightly written story. Mm -hmm. It's just weird. The amount of times that Batman leaves Gotham, look, I'm happy about it. I like that he leaves Gotham because there's only so much crime that can happen in that city. But the amount of times that he leaves Gotham is a little weird now. And to be fair, he left a lot in the Golden Age stories we saw. And there were some time travel bits that we're not really going to talk about because that has to do with being uh, hypnotized back in time. Um, but, yeah, okay. It's just kind of, these are all like Indiana Jones stories, unless what I feel like a Batman story is. But that's kind of the era that Batman is right now, is an adventure guy who dresses like a bat. Batman, number 168, December 1964. Batman helps a strong man uh, who is being driven to violence when he hears the radio chimes of like the station address. The guy was like, oh, I need Batman to help me. Batman's like, okay, what's going on? He's like, this is, what's, this is what happens. I need you to watch me. I thought all in all made a lot of sense. Just a weird story. Mm -hmm. um, again, there's no like crime happening here, but Batman had to solve a mystery, which was what is causing this guy to go, you know, so berserk. Uh, second story in 168, Batman and the Mystery Analyst Club of Gotham figure out that one of their members has actually stolen a jewel from a jewelry display place. Um, and he has to reverse engineer the crime knowing that one of the members who admits to doing it in a very Charlie's Angels fashion over the phone explains that he's like, I've already done this and here's how, here's how it's been done. Um, and they figure out that it was the, um, the forensic analyst who's a member of the mystery analyst club uh, who did it because he was too meticulous in his description. Give me one second. I have been trying to kill this bug all day. <laughs> oh no. And I got him. Nice. Oh, nice. Congrats. He made the mistake of crawling around in the book uh. while I was just talking. 
just then. <laughs> I had to be decisive. <laughs> anyway. Um, Keep that whole thing line, in. <laughs> right, yeah. Bottom line being, the uh, forensics analyst kind of gave away the fact that he was the, the culprit because he, he too is too meticulous in his investigation. And Batman was like, well, the guy who on the phone was really meticulous about his description. You're meticulous when you describe things. You describe things the same way. It was you. Not really investigative detecting, but just it was clever. And then they get into the conversation about like, ah, yes, I stole the thing. But then I also put it back yesterday while you guys were all trying to figure out when I, that, which one of us stole it. So is it really a crime? And Batman's like, I don't know. Uh, Commissioner Gordon, district attorney, who's also a member of the mystery analyst club you guys fucking figure it out but uh, he did it and he gave it back when we weren't looking can you what's the term for placing something where it wasn't supposed to be or it wasn't originally but in a sneaky way like intentionally giving something that someone else didn't have before what's what's the legal term for (laughs) For, what is it like nefarious gifting like like what is it if there's anything that we've learned about the justice system in the past six years is that they will find something i i like nefarious gifting that is- i think that's it's like you know giving someone with 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 ill intent uh is <laughs> it's just oh god i don't know what it is but that's that's what happens here um the final story we're going to cover here, Detective Comics number 334, December 1964. Folks, look out. It's the Grasshopper, Batman's ultimate nemesis, you know, that villain you've always heard about and you've always wanted to see in a live-action movie. The Grasshopper, who's just a dude who jumps and steals things, but he doesn't really, like, steal that well because he escapes by having an identical twin dressed up in the same outfit appear in a different location so it makes it look like he can jump fantastic distances when really he's just hiding behind a door or in a chandelier while his twin runs off on a, on a you know roof elsewhere and batman and robin are being toyed with by the grasshopper because the grasshopper or grasshoppers steal all of his stuff like they steal the batmobile they steal robin at one point they steal the batboat they steal everything and eventually when batman tracks them down he fights them and a mysterious person known as the Outsider, who is the hidden hand in their operation. Very much, I think, setting up the Outsider to be the Moriarty to Batman's Sherlock. But that's where we're left with at the end of 1964, is this sort of like mysterious person uh, being introduced to the Batman mythos. So let's recap. Alfred's dead. Uh, we have Aunt Harriet now, um, who is their at-home person. I guess it was too many single men living under one roof for the comics code. I don't know. But Aunt Harriet's there. She's Dick Grayson's aunt. Uh, Batman and Robin are fairly uh, engaged with the police, pretty much. We're getting to the point where in the TV show, they're deputized. I think we're pretty close to, if not, they already are deputized, if I remember correctly. A lot of, lot of clue hunting in these stories. I know we didn't go into it a lot because we had a lot of stories to cover. But there was a lot of go here, analyze this. That gives me information about that. Like I said, I think the story about um, the restaurant that was 
like drugging people with the coffee that made them hate everyone and turn into a uh, Frankenstein angry mob was one of the better ones because it had a lot of like actual detective work and it was interesting to the con to the point where I was like, I want to know how this is being done. I like the concept that they're like doing a sting operation. They're both in disguise, you know, like they, they're, they're using signals and following each other and stuff like that. I was like, this is great. This is fun. Love this. Um, that was number three thirty. Detective Comics three thirty. That's a John Broom one. Who fucking knew? Um, the story that I liked the most, the one that had the most complex inner workings, was written by the guy who writes Green Lantern, and at some point the Flash. Uh, so, wow, what do you know? Here's a problem for me: Carmine Infantino's art makes Bob Kane's look like shit. <laughs> And that's, that's tough to say because, look, I can't draw. Bob Kane draws better than me or drew better than me. Um, the illustrations are what you would expect from Golden Age comics. His style has not evolved. In the 30 years, we've seen his work from Golden Age to now in the 60s. His style has not changed. Nothing about it has evolved. He's not gotten, quote unquote, any better not that he's bad, but he's also not trying anything new. I know exactly what a Bob Kane Batman story looks like because it looks like that. Infantino's art is so much more energetic, lifelike, lifelike dynamic, uh, visually interesting, expressive, different, kinetic, that Kane's artwork looks stiff and childlike. And I, I know that's unkind. I know that is a reductionist statement. But when you look at Bob Kane's art, it is lacking in detail and fluidity and looks very stiff and, uh, frankly, more cartoonish than Infantino's more realistic, more appropriate art. And the cognitive dissonance of going between the two for a lot of these stories, from Detective to Batman, because maybe Batman is drawn by Infantino and then Detective is a Bob Kane story. And if it's, you know, Detective is Infantino, then Batman's Bob Kane. Having that contextual switch makes reading these difficult because now you're constantly comparing the two. Because the art matters. It really does. If the art's boring, it's going to make the story boring. And if the art is boring and slapped on with a ton of extra dialogue from narration... It's going to be even more boring. That's the problem with Bob Kane's stories is the art is just as bland as the writing. Because the uh, Bill Finger and uh, Ed Heron stories are all narration heavy. Tons of narrative boxes that clutter up the page and make the art look tiny. Conversely, John Broom and Fantino stories are taking chances with panel layouts. Three vertical uh, panels and then one giant panel, you know, or Batman leaping through a window in a very dynamic pose to show his prowess. Even the Gardner Fox stories are a little less word heavy and a little bit more action heavy. But it is not hard to see why Batman's failing. When you've got art and stories that are largely unex uh, uninteresting and not exciting, you're going to run into the problem of how can we capture anybody's attention with stories that put people to sleep? I'm genuinely curious. Do you have the book in front of you? Yep. Does it 
actually credit those to Bob Kane as pencils. Uh, okay, I'm looking at uh, Detective Comics 327, The Mystery of the Menacing Mask, John Berman, Carmine, and Fantino. Batman 164, June 1964. Pencils Bob Kane for the cover. Uh, two-way gem caper. And they and they credit it, it to Bob Kane. Speci- Ed Heron and Pencils Bob Kane. So that's fascinating. At, so I'm going to start by working off of memory, and then I have other pieces that I'm supplementing with what I see on Wikipedia because I wanted to confirm this. So Bob Kane's work for a number of years was at least partly, and I think majority or even entirely done by ghost artists, uh, among whom was Sheldon Moldoff. And apparently Wikipedia says the primary Batman ghost artist, uh, along with Wynne Mortimer and Dick Sprang. I think we've seen that name around Mm -hmm. as well. We've seen Dick Sprang around, yeah. Mm -hmm. And... On the DC Wikia, uh, they're credited to those people rather than... Like, Bob Kane's name doesn't show up there at all. My understanding, and here I am working off of memory, is that Infantino was the first person other than Bob Kane that they actually credit with uh, any Batman art because his work was so different that it could not... You couldn't even pretend it was Bob Kane. And... To be clear, it sounds like Bob Kane was sort of under the table having these ghost artists. It wasn't something that DC was involved in. But <laughs> like before, there was the tradition of it's under Bob Kane's name. And Carmen Infantino is just such a, frankly, such a stellar artist that you can't even pretend it's Bob Kane. But yeah. it's interesting to me, A, that the book credits it to Bob Kane maybe i'm misremembering things and or but also b that that bob kane's art style whether it's his work or other people under his name is potentially calcified by being you have to draw like me and this is how i drew back then and you're not allowed to advance my style uh yeah i i don't all of this is file it under the category of I wish I had done the more thorough research on this uh, so that I could speak more authoritatively, but that could also explain the the calcification of Bob Kane's art is going to a style and not letting that style evolve. Hmm. But either That's way, the f- fundamental point that Carmen Infantino's stuff is just so distinctive and holy shit, yes, still very so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for example, the, uh, the Gardner Fox stories are, um, the grasshopper story and the man who quit the human race, which is the guy who became a mutant and then hated the human race. Those are the two Gardner Fox stories, (laughs) the weirdest two. Um, John Broom wrote the mystery of the menacing mask. The first story that was just the guy who could, with, with Gotham village and the guy who could stop them with their masks. Um, and uh, the fallen idol of Gotham City, which is the one with the uh, the coffee house that was making people hate each other. I will say that one has Bob Kane's art. <laughs> so I was incorrect. That story is good. Maybe Bob Kane just needs to have a good script to write, to, to draw for. Who knows? Um, or maybe it was one of the other ghost artists. Who knows? Um, 
John Broom also did the Museum of the Mixed Up Men, which was the one with the elongated man and people uh, pretending to be other people to take out their uh, life savings. The Joker's Last Last Laugh, the loco weed story, is also John Broom. I will say the the loco weed story, we also see a moment where the criminals in jail are laughing at Joker for being caught, and he is upset at being the butt of the joke. That's right, yeah. And I think that's very fun because that is a character characteristic of him that is very central to his character now. And the oeuvre of that, uh, of the Joker, is he does not like being the joke. He likes everyone else being the punchline. And when he's laughed at, he is not happy. And, you know, I got, I got to say this because it's been so long since we batman Remember the introduction of Joker and how melancholy that character was in that first appearance and even though this version is less like hammed up it is still certainly more hammed up than that version that initial version of joker was i just had that sudden visceral memory of the the man who laughs like that sad character i think that's it from me what do what have you got all right so structurally uh just to rattle everybody off uh so writers john broom bill finger gardner fox ed heron pencilers carmine infantino bob kane slash sheldon moldoff unclear anchors joe gia i think i'm guessing that's how you pronounce it i don't actually know g-i-e i think you're right sorry it's either giala or gia that's a good point uh yeah, and then letterers, uh, just the one, uh, Gaspar Saladino, and editor Julia Schwartz, who, remember, is, uh, well, to our understanding, was an abusive piece of shit, but also, to his credit, it separate, insofar as you can separate art from artist, uh, edited some of the comics that we've been most impressed by in the past, what, three years of coverage, more. Mm. Um he did a thing. He wasn't necessarily the best person, but he did a thing. Yep. Uh, Gardner Fox is writing the Elongated Man backup features. Uh, so uh, Detective Comics is primary story of Batman. Secondary is uh, Elongated Man. And then sometimes you have those crossovers. Batman is generally, it, it's just Batman, but sometimes it's usually like two stories. Sometimes it's one book length or novel length, that's the term that they use. Gardner Fox is going to uh, wind up being the writer for the next couple of Detective Comics stories. Uh, I think we see less John Broom, uh, at least on Detective Comics. Maybe Batman specifically is different, but Infantino is doing all the comics, all the covers, it sounds like, so that rules. And I I want to bring home that the t- the creative team that's on this, some of the time, uh, is the bulk of the team that kicked off the Silver Age. Uh, Infantino, Broom, and Schultz were the core of one of the writing teams for uh, Green Lantern, and I, and I believe for Flash. But I may be wrong on this, but one way or another, uh, this really is pulling from that same like star talent pool to come over to Batman, but they're doing something very different. Like, and I really do feel like this is betwixt and between it. 
and not just in the sense of doing something different, but it is different, but it is also not sure of what it wants to be. There isn't a unified identity to it. Uh, and it doesn't have the melodrama of what I call like the Electrum, the Electrum Age stories. Like you think about some of the Superman comics we've covered or the Martian Manhunter stuff where it's just kind of, there, there's a lot of the class. The example I keep coming back to is the reaction shots aren't as hammed up like the characters aren't doing the whoa batman this thing uh those aren't happening as much uh we don't have as many uh product of plot moments and conversely they also aren't as like ritualized as devoted to like a formula as many uh fox comics can be in the sense of like you think about how gardner fox in especially in some justice league stuff like the one by one by one by one by one things of each going through like here is a challenge here's a challenge like a variation of it in a third uh those became very formula uh formulaic in that way we don't see that at all the store and the stories aren't as pulpy as a like a true gardner fox adventure book at this time but they're not building continuity like ideas are added and dropped uh the rogues gallery isn't here we get that one issue with uh with joker and that's it it's yeah. here are here are criminals it's it's weird this is a very between comics and i i enjoyed it but it like it's going to be gone from my brain tomorrow uh here is a thing that i think explains it uh again this is like wikipedia knowledge i think i saw this on the like the trivia for the first comic that we read in this so again this is all coming from like the DC Wikia, so I haven't done any research really, but there's the bit where Batman holds a points a gun at takes a gun from <laughs> criminals and points it at two criminals to get them to stand down. And apparently that made it into the comic because the new talent team did not know the Batman mythos. Yeah. So like that that's a piece that makes it all click into place for me of just here is a creative team that comes in that does not know this stuff and is sort of figuring it out as they go and they're trying things. They're killing off uh, Alfred. They're introducing uh, Patricia. They're introducing Aunt Harriet, but they don't know what to do with them. They don't have an idea. They don't have a vision. And it doesn't matter what their vision winds up being because by the time they figure it out, they're going to get Batman 66. <laughs> yeah. Which is its own brand of crazy. Yep. <laughs> Patricia Powell, I I just, I feel like I need to eulogize at least a little bit. It's not like she's an amazing character. It felt very much like the best we could reasonably expect from a mediocre writer. And I'm not necessarily saying that Ed Heron is actually a mediocre writer, but some of those trappings of, okay, this is someone who doesn't really, maybe, probably doesn't really want to write a female character, uh, but did a good ish job with it uh the example yeah. i give is there's a point in one of the stories where uh she she says because i'm a woman i noticed the clothes these people were wearing and was able to like follow that thread to find the criminals it's like okay like th if that were that is a sherlock holmes style piece of deduction of i noticed this it led me to here to here to here and then i'm there but it has to be framed in the because I'm a woman, I know clothes. And 
utterly reduced to that. Like I think of you could do something like that with and have it be charming in the way that like Miss Marple. Oh, I know. Like uh, I haven't read any Miss Marple stuff, but I recognize that brand of candy that you have yeah, or, or, a, a, or a murder she wrote or Columbo take your pick of quirky detective you know and I mean we get a character who genuinely is like figuring these things out and Batman is interested to spend time with her and that's just the end of that yeah <laughs> so this was a weird experience yeah it's it feels like somebody blind firing from behind cover you know, it's like, I have the safety of a well-established IP, but what if I tried a bunch of things like this? And it's like, just stop. Just stop doing what you're doing and just try to aim. Aim a little bit. You know, and that's... These don't suffer for it, but they also aren't so powerful that they can't win anyway. You know? You know, it's hard, it's hard to aim high when the bar is on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> you know Accurate. you can only step over it and in some of these cases they trip i'm looking at you gardner fox but yeah, okay like these are all just kind of like meh the john broom ones are great but they're also still like man if you're not writing space shit this is kind of weird <laughs> like you're trying really hard to make these interesting like again, what were those invisible things that beat them up in the museum? We don't know. That that's some Gardner Fox level science. Don't worry about it. And you just like dropped in invisible invisible ninjas for them to fight in the museum that they like totally got their asses handed to them by, and we're not going to explain that. Okay, sure. Not his best work, but certainly better than the rest of the crap that we read for this. So, yeah. it, it it's it is what it is. Uh, should we move on to recommendations or do you have more? Uh, yeah, that's all I got. All right. What do you got? So I'm going to recommend something off the beaten path a little bit. Uh, I'm going to recommend a book called Tiny Habits. Uh, so I have difficulty, like some executive function stuff, but especially like sticking to a habit is really hard for me. Uh, and just making that a daily thing. And for whatever reason, this is the thing that has made it easiest to to do. So the the shtick is and so it, I mean it is a pop psychology kind of book. Uh, so know what you're getting in for, but uh, it the shtick is that any successful any habit is composed of three different things. It's what is your ability to do it? what is especially like in the moment in the context where you are trying to do it what is your ability to do the thing uh how high is your motivation for the thing and what is the prompt like do you have a prompt to do it and the thing that the guy says is just like hey throw out motivation because motivation you, you need you need to choose something that you will be motivated to do each time but don't count on your levels of motivation like and it is don't get into the headspace of like judging yourself uh, or your morality by do you have the motivation to do this thing? Instead, focus on the prompt, like set a thing where it's a very specific when this, then this. And like one example that's worked really well for me is just, hey, whenever you go to the bathroom uh, during the workday, 
went at right after it do five push-ups and that kind of specificity and doing like a super small little uh habit like whatever you're trying to do making it small so that even that little bit of motivation that you always have that you can always count on is enough for that it's like it, it is a thing that has actually worked for me uh so uh if if you if anybody out there like me struggles with maintaining that kind of consistency hey give this a try and like my library had it so remember that you have like services like i think libby is uh whatever it is that lets you like download ebooks from your library go do that it's worth a shot and that does that does track you know i i definitely can see the value in that sort of a practice and being realistic about how you're approaching certain things is is always better than being like shoot for the stars yeah. and then like being upset with yourself yourself or with the situation because you can't achieve what you believe is the perceived goal like having realistic expectations is is always very key and knowing your limitations and knowing what you have available to you is always important you know um look i'm going to recommend something and i i'm going to i'm going to come out right out the gate and tell you it's not good right i'm recommending <laughs> this to you because because it's fun and if you go in knowing what you're getting into you're going to enjoy it i'm going to recommend the black adam movie <laughs> it's atrocious <laughs> oh no i wanted to love this movie so bad and there are bits of it that i do the best part of that movie is the jsa pierce brosnan is a pitch perfect dr fate he is the best part of that movie adam smasher and cyclone are fantastic love them everything else is garbage <laughs> and it's garbage in a way that it is not that they couldn't have done it well or this was a stupid idea they just they tried to do too much and everything suffered. There were pieces of a good movie in there very close to the surface that were bogged down by the plot of just go to next thing. Go, do it, 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 do it. And nothing ever gets a chance to breathe. There's no emotional uh, tension release. It is just constant plot movement. And because of that, everything suffers. There are good ideas in there. On the other hand, Watching that movie be a train wreck is hilarious. Go, go do it. And if you don't want to spend the money, please watch it when it comes out on HBO because it's gonna. So just do it. Um, that's gonna wrap us up for Batman for this episode. We're gonna finish out the year of 1965 to 1966 if we can, depending on what we have available to us. And uh, yeah, we'll keep going there. We'll go from the bees to to more in the DC world. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The new look Batman was different. There was less sci-fi and practically no supervillains, instead focusing on more grounded stories. But they didn't have a solid identity, with the specter of Batman 66 hanging in the future, and these stories just adding and dropping characters willy-nilly. It's weird that Alfred has stayed dead, isn't it? <laughs>